0: I think as a Christian, it's important for us to have a desire to make an impact for Christ. I mean, that's precisely why we had a missions conference last week, right? Just to remind ourselves that we are all ambassadors for Christ, that we're ministers of reconciliation. And that begins with whether we're talking to our neighbor or reaching out to a coworker, or going to the uttermost parts of the world. Because we talked about this last week, missions is not just something we do, it's who we are, right? But what does that look like when you're in a really hard place? Maybe you're in a dead-end job, and to be honest, your boss is a jerk, because every day you show up, you know that you're going to have to endure his demeaning comments and sarcasm. Or maybe you're in a difficult marriage, and maybe... You're in a season where it just doesn't have love and affection. It's easy to get lost in in loneliness and to lose sight of your value and worth. Is it possible to have an impact for Christ in a situation like that? See, these are places that we feel ineffective and powerless. Being vulnerable or in a position of vulnerability feels like it's, it's a barrier to have an impact in the lives of other people. But as we will see this morning, Peter will suggest it's just the opposite. Because faithfulness in the midst of suffering is the most powerful witness of all. But if we're honest, that's not how we normally look at things. We often justify our own pursuit of success as a means of expanding our impact for Christ. After all, influential people are the most powerful catalysts for change. Using their resources for the greater good of society. In fact, I think that's why we rely so heavily on our political system. We lobby for laws to change the course of our culture putting our hope in the people who really have the power to make a difference. But the truth is, we don't need more governmental reform. What we need is a revolution of love. Because no matter how hard we try, we will not change the world through power and control. It can only happen through compassion and love. Just think about it. We just celebrated it during communion. The greatest impact the world has ever known came through Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He laid down his power in order to demonstrate his love. His faithfulness in the midst of suffering is why we are saved. Jesus started the revolution of love. And when we belong to him, we are called to carry it on. So before we look at the word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you and enter into a time looking at your word, we want to do so humbly. We want to be willing and have a teachable spirit that allows you to speak truths into our lives that may be counter to what we have believed to be true through our experience. You call us to something very different than what is happening in the world around us. And therefore, it's very hard sometimes to accept and receive what you say is true when so much around us says something different. And so, Lord, I would just ask on behalf of the people in this room, as we listen and look at your word together, that you would penetrate deeply past those preconceived ideas and penetrate our heart deeply with the truths we are called to follow because we belong to you. Lord, we entrust ourselves to you. And we are relying on your spirit to speak through your word into the hearts of your people for the praise and glory of of your name. Amen. All right, if you would, turn to 1 Peter, chapter 2. We'll pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago now. um, In chapter 2, verse 18. Some challenging passages, so let's uh, be prayerful for one another as we walk through this together. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are Good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this... This is what finds favor with God. So last time, and this is important for us to remember, we talked about the transition that Peter made in his letter back in verse 11, where he shifts his attention from the redemptive work that God has done in us to how this should impact those who are around us. Helping us understand what it means to live a Christian life in a non-Christian world, which is incredibly relevant to us. Because this is exactly what we are called to do and who we are called to be. Fulfilling our purpose as a royal priesthood in a pagan society. But we cannot capture the power of what Peter is saying without understanding the context in which it was written. Otherwise, we risk interpreting the text through our own cultural lens. And we end up with something very different than what Peter originally intended. Because understanding context is what drives the accuracy of our interpretation. We see a great example of that beginning in verse 18. When Peter instructs servants to be submissive to their masters. Because when we read that through our cultural lens, we think about racial slavery in our recent history. It was an abusive, dehumanizing system based on what was perceived to be an inferior race. But that's not what Peter is talking about here. That is not this context. Instead, household servants in that context were an important part of Roman society. In fact, it's estimated that up to a quarter of the Roman population were household servants, many of whom were highly educated and essential to the stability of that culture. These were physicians, managers of estates, teachers, tutors, which doesn't go so far as to say that this system was free of corruption. Peter recognizes that fact in verse 18 when he says, Some of your masters are good and gentle, while others were unjust and unreasonable. And the reason that it was true then is the same reason it's true now, because people who are in positions of power are inclined towards corruption. But I want you to notice that the same counsel from Peter applies to both groups. He doesn't tell one to be respectful, And then the other one to rebel. He calls on all servants to be submissive, patiently enduring, even when they suffer unjustly. Which sounds so strange in our modern context because we are hardwired to fight against unjust systems. Am I right? We need to stand up for our rights when we're not being treated fairly. But Peter says, patiently enduring injustice finds favor with God. For what credit is there, Peter says, if you sin for being treated harshly? In other words, returning evil for evil only adds injustice to an already corrupt system. Instead, Christians are called to overcome evil with good. It's a revolution of love. And although Peter is addressing servants in this section, we need to be clear that he's speaking to all Christians. Because back in verse 13, we already learn when he says, Submit yourself, speaking to all Christians for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He goes on in verse 16 and says, Don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Again, don't use evil to try to overcome, uh, or don't overcome evil with good. Instead, start a revolution that's based on love. Christians should live out their calling of obedience to God, even in the midst of injustice devoted to what is right in a world that has gone wrong. Because the transforming work that God is doing in us is how he impacts the world around us. We need to remember, and this is really important, God's primary goal is not to fix broken systems. Whether that's political, social, or economic. Jesus did not come to fix broken systems. Jesus came to restore broken lives and the work of redemption he does in us is the most powerful influence in impacting the world that is around us look how he continues in verse 21 for connecting to what he just said for you have been called for this purpose since christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps You see, Peter's making the point here is that we're not being called, as hard as what we just read in the beginning of this passage is to swallow in our world today, despite the fact that that, that's true, we're not being called to do anything that Jesus hadn't already done for us. Because no one suffered more injustice than him. He he was crucified as a criminal even though he committed no sin. He, He did not return evil for evil. There was no righteous anger in his response. Even when he was reviled, he, was not, he did not revile in return. Says he uttered no, no threats, remaining silent, like sheep being led to slaughter. He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. You see, even though He had all the divine power and authority to overthrow an unjust and corrupt system. Jesus laid down his power, surrendering to suffering in order to bring salvation to the world. Philippians goes on in verse 5 of chapter 2 and says, or Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself of that and taking on the form of a servant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross patiently enduring unjust suffering so our sins could be forgiven. He became a suffering servant in order to bring salvation to the world, leaving us an example, as Peter says in verse 21, that we are called to go and do the same, which is only possible because, as Peter highlights, we have died to sin. You see, God broke through our heart of rebellion. God broke through that demand for what's right and what's fair in order to bring salvation and righteousness so that we could in turn live for righteousness. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. For by his wounds, Peter says, you have been healed. And what's interesting about this is that most of the verses here in, these, in this passage that I just read are either an allusion to or a direct quote from Isaiah 53. A prophecy about the suffering Messiah. Which, by the way, is a prophecy that Jews both then and now want to avoid. Because they don't want a suffering Messiah. They want a conquering king. And before we get too judgmental, I don't know that we're all that different. I think that's why this passage is so uncomfortable. We want to impact the world through victorious power. Not patiently enduring injustice. But Peter's making the point. The the greatest witness possible does not come from success and prosperity. It, It often comes through faithful obedience in the midst of unjust suffering. Walking in the same spirit that was also present in Christ who came, again, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, faithfulness in the midst of suffering, is how the gospel came to life. And as followers of Christ, we are called to the very same courageous faith. Look at how he closes this up in verse 25. He says, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. I think... Peter's closing words here in this chapter help bring some perspective to um, the suffering that he's referring to because he, he's writing to people who are in a hard place. We, we've talked about this already as we've kind of set the context of this letter. These are aliens and strangers, remember? Outcasts in that society. Some were being persecuted Because of their faith, they were being ridiculed for following biblical values. As we see here in our passage this morning, others were suffering injustice, having to endure hardship and unreasonable uh, care. And it would be easy for those same people who were in that hard place to develop bitterness because of their difficult circumstances. And so Peter reminds them, for once you were continually straying like sheep, which again is likely another connection to Isaiah 53, because it says in verse six, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So, so the very same sacrifice that was sufficient to forgive our sins also paid for the sins of our enemies. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Like Jesus, we are being called to entrust ourselves to him who judges righteously. It's interesting, as I prepare for this passage, um, because it has such a connection to what we've been walking through in region this past week when we've been talking about forgiveness, because we learn that forgiveness really doesn't involve the other person or, or, or even require them to respond in a certain way. Forgiveness is between us and God. Where we release our claim for justice and we give it to God. So that we are now set free to love instead of harboring bitterness and seeking vengeance. So instead of focusing on the suffering they were enduring, Peter reminds his audience of the forgiveness they have received. As Paul reminds us, we talked about this earlier. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness. We've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We, We live by a whole different economy as a child of God. Jesus is the shepherd and guardian of our soul. In other words, there is never a time, no matter how, we are guarded by his grace. We are guided by his love. As Jesus promises in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. I think these are really comforting words, especially in the context of a, a really challenging passage, as was the last one we did, right? When we talked about submitting to governmental authorities. Because Peter doesn't give conditions to either commands in either situation, suggesting that we give respect where respect is earned. He doesn't leave room for us to somehow argue, I'll treat them right, whether it's the government or my spouse or my boss, once they treat me right. He's calling us to submit even in the midst of suffering, which stirs all kinds of questions and all sorts of dilemmas, doesn't it? I had somebody come up to me after the sermon a couple of weeks ago and ask a very legitimate question. Was it wrong for, for Bonhoeffer then to, to get involved with the plan to kill Hitler? Should he have submitted to the governing authorities at that time? Or what about someone who's in an abusive relationship? Are they being called to endure patiently? Let me be clear. The answer is absolutely not. No, no. Peter's not condoning abusive relationships. And it's never okay for anybody to cause physical or emotional harm to another human being, which may be the reason that it's okay in situations when you're trying to stop a bloodthirsty killer like Hitler. But that's not what Peter is addressing here specifically. Instead, he's referring to are the everyday social systems in a sin-cursed world knowing that whether your country was founded on biblical principles or you are being ruled by a dictator, it will inevitably be filled with flaws. We do not ensure justice through social systems and governmental policies. Instead, Christians are called to live within these social systems with a Christ-like love, which, by the way, is exactly what happened In the early church and they changed their culture through a revolution of love for example when it was socially acceptable in that society for a man to have many mistresses but a woman had to remain faithful to her husband no matter what the church came along and said no that is not how it works And they upheld the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. When the society looked at widows and said, they have no value and worth outside of a marriage relationship, therefore we give no support to them, the church came along and said, no. They have absolute value and worth. They embraced them and brought them into the church community. And as a result of these things and many more, I want you to know that women flocked to the early church because of the dignity and respect that they found in that place that existed nowhere else in the world like it. The church grew, became influential because of their care for those in need. They were known for their compassion for the poor. So much so that Julian, an emperor during Rome, who hated the Christians, went so far as to say this. He says, our religion is not prospering while the Christian community is growing and growing. Why don't we realize how much Christianity's success is due to their radical concern for the poor? They don't just take care of their own poor. They take care of everyone's poor, including those who lack aid from us. This was also true when it came to public health. Disease was rampant before the time of of modern medicine. And and in these populated cities where, where people are congested together... Plagues were not uncommon during that time. And when it happened, people literally ran for the hills or hid in their homes. And all I could think about as I was researching and looking through these things is COVID. I mean, isn't that what we did? We ran for the hills or we hid in our homes. But in the early church, it was the, earth, it was the Christians who were willing to risk their lives for their care of the sick. One eyewitness says this. Christians in the plague showed unbounded love and loyalty. Never sparing themselves, thinking only of their neighbor. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, caring for their every need, ministering to them in Jesus' name. They said many died. For they were infected by their neighbors, transferring their death to themselves and dying in their sin, Laying down their lives for the good of someone else. You tell me if that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You tell me that's not the most powerful witness a human being can possibly have. And you tell me that's not what we're being called to in this passage this morning. Faithfulness in the midst of suffering is the greatest witness of all. You see, this is someone who doesn't just admire the example of Jesus, it's the person who's willing to actually mirror his life and walk in the same way that he did, changing the world with love. Let's pray. Father, I'll admit this is hard. These are difficult passages because they they cut so counter to what we experience in our world today. They're convicting. They're convicting to my soul, even as I stand here and speak them. But I'm convinced in my heart that this is who you've called us to be. A radical love that has the power to impact the world like nothing else can. Father, would you forgive us when we run for the hills, hide in our homes? When we become selfishly concerned about our own well-being at the expense of other people, when we convince ourselves that the pathway to true influence is through through power and prosperity. And Lord, thank you for the reminder that it really comes when we lay down our life for the good of someone else walking in a manner that you walk, doing as you have done. Father, I just ask that you recalibrate the way we see life which looks very different from a kingdom perspective than it does from a worldly perspective but as your people and I believe this is true for all of us we want to walk in accordance with your will we want, to, we want our heart to resonate with your heart we want to live as you lived and what you've called us to do for the praise and glory of your name and we pray this in that name amen please stand thank you all for walking through a difficult passage with me. It's a challenge this week. Guys know, I complained all week long. This was so hard. <laughs> um, but part of the reason it was hard is because it was convicting. Because I realized how easy it is for me to care for others just so long as I've cared for myself first. And this is really a passage that calls us to sacrifice ourselves for the needs of others. And it just so happened that I prepared the sermon in a week where I also prepared a message for Mary Lou Burns' funeral. And as I thought about her life, I thought about this passage because I think she lived it so well. I mean, she had a tremendous legacy of love. She had disabilities and things that she overcame that gave her such a compassion for those in need. She often sacrificed her own well-being and resources for the good of someone else. And I was preparing that funeral, looking at our pastures, thinking, this is it. This is what it looks like. And so I would just ask us to, to consider that despite what we see in the world around us, that we would have a heart of Christ that is willing to suffer for the needs of someone else as more important than our own. That's the example of Christ we are called to follow. So maybe we have people who do that faithfully. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this kind family. Thank you for the chance to walk through hard passages together, even dangerous passages in our world today. But Lord, you called us to a radical, reckless love, for the care of others is more important than our own. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would live that out faithfully, not just admiring your example, but actually following that example in our sacrificial love for others. Father, thank you for this necessary and timely reminder. And may we live it out faithfully today and in the days ahead to the praise and glory of your name. We pray this in the name of our Savior who sacrificed his life for us to bring salvation to the world. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Have a great day.